at the end of the day, it's all about producing something that consumers will, will enjoy and understanding that when it comes to delivering APIs, it's humans that are needed to deliver good APIs, and they might not all be technical folks. In fact, you need to make sure that you have a sufficient number of people from the village to deliver a good API. So being able to equip different personas, different skill sets across that uh, delivery cycle is critically important. I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to API Intersection. As always, I'm your host, Jason Harmon. Uh, something at Stoplight uh, was CTO, uh, but not too long ago, we were uh, acquired or merged or something. I'm not going to get into the legalities of technic uh, technically how that worked, but we're part of Smart Bear now. And as part of kind of exploring that and, and what that means, uh, which caveat, none of us really know yet. We're still working on that, figuring it out. I got connected with Mr. Frank Kilcommons uh, at Smart Bear, who uh, I think in API intersection terms, Frank's our people and definitely, you know, kind of in the space, in the community. And uh, we thought it'd be fun to just have a chat about kind of where we see things going, uh, not necessarily in Smart Bear and Stoplight product terms, because I don't think anyone knows that exactly yet. But I think more of just kind of the space and uh, just, you know, catching up on where APIs are going and that sort of thing. So welcome, Frank, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jason. Delighted to be here. So uh, I didn't give a very good description of what you do and how you got here. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what you do at SmartBear and kind of what got you into APIs in the first place. Cool. Um, yeah, so I have a shiny title like most of us do. So I uh, I'm principal API technical evangelist at, at SmartBear. So that basically means I'm right across everything from an API perspective within what we're doing in SmartBear and trying to immerse myself in the broader community, keep track on everything that's happening and supporting our customers and API practitioners, as well as, you know, making sure that I act as that double-sided window into what we're, what we're all about um, within SmartBear and within our open source communities. How I came to SmartBear, well, I believed I could have a positive influence on the vendor side of the fence. So I've been a customer of way too many vendor products over the last uh, 15 years or so. Um, I think when did I first get involved with APIs? Probably really heavily around 2010. Um, but that was you know, more from a SOA perspective and having the pleasure of delivering and consuming hundreds of soap services working on uh, you know multi-million dollar projects with regards to how we will integrate all of these systems and deliver capabilities across uh, multinational organizations and then quite quickly as you know digital transformation waves started to happen in the early part of that decade and you know continue to happen today and became much more interested in in the power of having well-defined interfaces and the acceleration that, that can bring on the consumer side of the fence and kind of, I suppose, intimately understanding the challenges that are, are faced by the provider side when it comes to delivering um, interfaces that will actually do what they say on the 10. Um, around that time, OpenAPI was starting be to become popular and really saw the promise in what that offered and the affordance that that type of specification could bring to the industry. 
Um, so as leading API programs and kind of architectural perspectives with regards to how we can deliver APIs in financial services companies around that time, had the joy of, you know, working with lots of different gateways, lots of different identity providers when it comes to also um, making sure that the access for APIs is, is governed properly, delivering developer por portals to make sense of all of this from a consumer perspective and facing all of those documentation challenges that, that, that we all do. So when the opportunity came to kind of jump over and, and work more in the specification space and also in the vendor space, um, yeah, I took it, took it as, a, as a good challenge to bring my perspective from, a, let's say, a consumer and, and a provider um, and making that kind of intimately familiar with, with the vendor teams and, and the engineering teams within SmartBear. See, I told you, Franks are people. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, I guess before we just start talking shop too much, we can touch on kind of the, you know, smart bear plus, uh, plus stoplight thing here. So I, I guess I'm curious, you know, you're, you're like any of the rest of us that suddenly there's an announcement and this thing is happening. I, I guess what, what is your hope, you know, uh, when you kind of look forward to how these things come together? Um, yeah, I, I really see if, if I look at kind of where many of the challenges exist today for folks who are engaged with delivering what we call good APIs and that, you know, that that's a, an opinionated um, statement as to what a good API is. But, you know, I think a lot of the times we think about it, it, it you know, it needs to be discoverable. It needs to be fundamentally useful for, for the consumers. And it also needs to be usable. And so you need to make sure that consumers can extract the value as quickly as possible out of that. And I'm always brought back to kind of a web usability perspective on it as well. I remember reading a book many, many years ago by Steve Krug called Don't Make Me Think. And pretty much everything that resonated with me in that book is applicable from an API perspective as well. And thinking about the API as being probably the longest living artifact um, that we will produce as software professionals. So the implementation of the API can come and go. The technical stack can be completely swapped out and replaced. But as long as I hold true on the interface and the promise that that interface brings towards you as a consumer, then we're all good. You know, I have that flexibility to tackle these big enterprise problems behind the scenes as well. And looking at kind of, I think, some of the offerings that we both have within our open sourcing commercial offerings across SmartBear and uh, Stoplight, I think we're kind of intimately aware that you need to be diligent and have very, very careful approaches to delivering APIs early in the process. So you need to be aware of the, the concerns um, and the, the considerations that will impact the usage of that API as early as possible in the process and get fast feedback loops you know, always boiling it down to validating, are you solving the problem and how quickly can you get that validation? And then letting the tools do the boring stuff around verifying that you're doing it in what you kind of quantify as being a good way to do it. And I think we're, we're both very well placed to offer capabilities towards our broader community and customer bases uh, in those spectrums and making sure that when they get up to the point of, you know, hosting or, or runtimes, that we're also open enough to not have too much opinion on that. So you can host these things where you want. We will make sure that everything up to that point is, is really as good as it can be. And then we will also be coming in after the fact and making sure that we can have abilities to 
to review what's happening in production and feed that back into the next iteration of that API. Um, so I think in general, I was really excited. You know, I've been a stoplight user in the past. I've I've liked how it has thought about the the, the challenges when it comes to ensuring that APIs will be enjoyable for consumers to consume. And you can have a, a sufficiently easy way to, to govern this at scale. And I think there's there's an element to that on everything that happens on the SmartBear side as well. So it's really a better together story. So I was incredibly excited when you know we, we got the information that, that this was happening. Um, and I see the potential across you know, governance capabilities, across consumer. At the end of the day, it's all about producing something that consumers will, will enjoy and understanding that when it comes to delivering APIs, it's humans that are needed to deliver good APIs. And they might not all be technical folks. In fact, you need to make sure that you have a sufficient number of people from the village to deliver a good API. So being able to equip different personas, different skill sets across that uh, delivery cycle is critically important. And I think we tick a lot of the boxes that are needed to do that. I love that you brought up uh, Don't Make Me Think. I, uh, and I'm just going to go sideline here for a second and comment on this that and it's relevant, right, to to how do people design APIs in these platforms and how are, you know uh, how will it all work together to some extent, which is to say that one of the most common misconceptions that I get around, um, you know, Stoplight, and I assume it's probably the same with Swagger Hub, is, you know, it's all about, you know, folks go, well, is this about coding the thing? Is this about running it in production? And at some point, you know, it's just designing it. Uh, and that there's this real lack of recognition sometimes that I, I really believe this is one of the most like stripped down primal methods of design in all the things that we build in software and that there's no point and click. There's no, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess there's kind of notifications of webhooks and stuff, right? But um, this is programmatic, but I love that you made the point too, that this is, you know, these are the things that let machines talk to each other. But it's humans who build them and humans who consume them. And so, you know, we, we've got to have this programmatic design to it that makes it efficient enough over the wire and an efficient enough for sort of algorithmic processing. But ultimately, it's a question of can you understand what this thing does, right? And, you know, when you zoom out to this observability buzzword lately, uh, and I'm just going to call out that there's definitely some buzz and hype around what that means and a lot of magical thinking but on some level, it's not about designing one API because, frankly, it's not that hard. Uh, like, you know, there's enough material out there to learn. But I think for me, the interesting problem to solve here is that, you know, stripped down primal act of designing a capability, not an interface for humans necessarily, to do that at scale, to do that over and over hundreds or thousands of times across an organization and have it all feel like it's one thing to the end consumer, right? This is kind of, to me, the big challenge. Certainly between SmartBear and Stoplight, there's a lot of the same problems being solved, or I guess I should say SwaggerHub specifically, but this is the other interesting bit though, is for, for Stoplight for a long time, I think we've had kind of just trying to solve that one problem is how do you help someone design things at scale? And then after that, well, you got open API out the other side. We know a lot of other things happen. And I, I think what's interesting for me in learning more about uh, the, the huge offering of different products across the lifecycle at SmartBear is 
how are all the other things going to plug into that more neatly now? Um, and I think that's probably the longer view, uh, right? As as those two products kind of start merging together, integrating together, is how does all that connect more neatly with all the other downstream things, especially in testing? I mean, so much to unpack there. I won't go down that, down that rabbit hole, but yeah. that's a big one. Yeah, I think you know you covered it quite succinctly there. I think it's it's really around connecting the humans behind the API lifecycle. You know, making sure that they can communicate, collaborate, that you're backing up the cultural mindset shift that might be happening in parallel to to standing up an API program. And you know, the the dot on the horizon that we're all trying to go to and get to is having governance across that lifecycle in a seamless, invisible way. But that doesn't happen by magic. It takes a sufficient level of investment by an organization to scale to that level so that it's actually seamless. And when you are delivering multiple APIs, that they are sufficiently coherent and consistent with each other so that when consumers interact with them, they're not distracted by nuances of, of different teams or nuances of, of different opinions. That should all be addressed. And it's not a trivial challenge to, to do that. As you said, delivering one API is simple. Delivering hundreds of thousands of APIs that adhere to the same fundamental principles as to what quantifies a good API is not trivial. And it's it's kind of all of that even old adage from a, an agile perspective. It's around how quickly as possible can we equip the folks who are doing this to identify those unknown unknowns and move them along so that they become known knowns. And it's if we do things well, then that is kind of happening seamlessly as part of the process and they don't have to think about it too hard. But that brings me onto something a little bit tangential, which I'll, I'll touch on, but it's you know across the API space in general, I think we need to do better when it comes to giving teams an ability to structurally collaborate on the requirements of, of APIs. I think that that's a little bit of a a gap that's there. And I have some ideas there around, around things that, that can help it. But uh, as I said, I won't go too far down that rabbit hole, but it's, it's not a tooling challenge per se. Yeah, totally, totally agreed on that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Frank and I's discussion here today probably gives you some clue that um, as we think about these, you know, two very influential platforms in the API design and governance space and how they come together, to some extent, it's an exercise of really have to think really, really big on what are the big problems of the space? Where are things going? Now, I, I'm curious to get your comment on this, Frank, but in some ways, I feel like the last 10 years of API design and governance has not seen as much innovation as I'd hoped for. And in some ways, we're still trying to get the basics right outside of perhaps you know, some of the automation around uh, sort of standards enforcement, if you will, uh, things like spectral, right? those stand out. But I guess when we think of, you know, dig into that collaboration and kind of pulling in all the right folks from the village, I love that phrase, you know, what are, what are some ways you think things might need to change? Um, again, I think it's, it's unfortunate that we are dealing with an acronym that is intimately technical by, by nature. Um, so anytime you're trying to have a conversation around the fact that it's a cultural challenge within an organization rather than a technical one, they ask you, what are you talking about? And you say, well, we're talking about APIs here and the power that they will bring to allow you to evolve into the digital version of yourself. 
And then they say, what do you mean by an API? And you say an application programming interface, and you can you can see that they want to immediately just start taking out their phone or, you know, working on something else. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're, we're dealing with that, that challenge. Um, slowly but surely, I think it's shifting and people are kind of dropping the technical baggage and they're understanding that, you know, we're all moving away from bricks and mortar operations into uh, participating fully in the digital economy. I think what's happening across other industries is kind of um, making our lives easier from from a vendor perspective. You know, I think if we focus on financial services, I think the the predictions and the hype. Well, I I, I think hype might be the wrong word, but let's say the predictions and the momentum that I'm seeing in embedded finance as, as an offering, and then how that's kind of fueling kind of the creation of super apps that can kind of deliver everything because they have the right. APIs available to them to offer something to a customer at that exact moment when they want it, rather than them having to leave that experience and jump over to something else. I think that's doing a lot more than we can ever do with regards to to pushing our products. Making specifications sexy, I think, is something that we also need to do in order to be able to sell the value to the the architects and the practitioner teams within organizations. So, you know, I'm very much an advocate of of bet on the power of specifications, you know, having something that's expressive, but yet constrained in nature is something very powerful because it brings affordance and brings the ability for tooling to do a lot of the heavy lifting for, for teams. And again, it's all back to that situation of, of don't make me think. I think if, if governance is operating well as a function in an API program, people don't have to think too hard about it. It's just there. It's a really a guide rail. So you can focus on always answering the question, you know, are we building the right API? Is that solving the problem? And then are we building the API right? And you almost don't have to think about that in human terms because the machines can answer that for you uh, if you have the governance wheel set up well. Yeah, well said. I'd chip into that, that as more and more companies, as you said, are starting to kind of recognize this isn't just an engineering artifact. This actually has real strategic meaning. I think one is it's something it's like we stop mentioning it, but I think we all assume it is that in the power of the inverse Conway maneuver, right? This idea that you intentionally design your platform to be the company that you want to be in the future and then let the organization fall in behind that as opposed to let the shape of your organization design your software uh, and have something that no one outside the company understands, right? This is kind of the old way. And the way to get there uh, certainly looks to be kind of the rise of the API product manager, right? The idea that we're going to have people who manage these, manage these APIs as the product, uh, the main product, if done well, and that everything else is sort of nice to have. And I think when we look at the tool sets that are out there that are tend to be very developer oriented, which is not a bad thing, right? Uh, we have to have developers to build APIs, but I think it's kind of this inclusivity of, you know, okay, now we're engaging the business side of the house and we've got these mediators in the form of product managers. How can we empower them to be the API designer? I think, you know, that's kind of where I see things going. Uh, curious to get your take on that. Yeah, I think that makes makes complete sense. You know, I think you, you you can you can fall back or even an analogy I kind of fall back a little bit to encompass that perspective and also um 
the the impact of delivering according to Conway's law. Well, I've ne- firstly I've never heard anyone ask me to to ship an API fied version of my organizational chart, but you know we we know it happens. But when when that kind of let's say culture is there, I think you're more likely to face challenges from an API sprawl perspective as well, because there just isn't the joined up thinking with regards to okay, how are we going to represent our capabilities in a way that's easy to discover, easy to consume, and we have the potential to also reuse capabilities and build new business models because what what are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to participate in the digital economy. So falling back to kind of a town planning perspective, which brings in the, the sprawl kind of angle as well. You know, if you have a bricks and mortar operation and the city is sprawling and sprawling, you're going to get less footfall uh, at your door. And I think um, looking at a, a more API focused approach to delivering your capabilities as an organization means that you can offer those capabilities to an omni-channel experience. So yes, you might still have your proprietary mobile apps. You might still have your proprietary websites that expose these capabilities, but you're not relying on the footfall to those proprietary entry points. You can also offer your capabilities into these broader ecosystems that are happening out there um, in the in the digital world. Um, and I think that ties quite nicely into what's happening with initiatives like embedded financing as well. And you're doing it in a way that you're then tackling the sprawl problem. So we want sprawl insofar as we want more APIs to be delivered, but we don't want the negative connotations that come with kind of poor planning and poor layout and um, lack of infrastructure to support teams to deliver APIs effectively. Yeah, I, I call uh, th- this kind of idea of, you know, sprawl manifesting w- insanely quickly in, in practice. I always call this like uh, leaders who try to sort of pull a Bezos, right? So everyone's read the story that, you know, well, AWS was just born because, uh, you know, Bezos told everyone they had to build everything as a, a service or get fired, right? So if I just do that, uh, then it'll be fine and we'll be the next AWS. And oh man, uh, so many, so many problems come out of that uh, stroke of the pen when leaders think, you know, do APIs and things will be better. And to your point, like you're uh, one, I, I love the phrase you used earlier. You're, you're describing yourself as in a digital uh, way, right? As a company. And that's why I, I kind of go to this like Conway's Law type thinking is describe what you do in the shape of an API. And, you know, we're talking a design discipline here. So less is more for sure. And the idea that every team just ships an API for everything they build is a nightmare. And I've helped help some companies crawl out of that hole before. And in some ways, you just seal the tomb and move on and start over because it's a mistake. And this is where I, you know, I kind of bring it back to like, you know, maybe I just, maybe it's because I'm a product guy at heart, but I, I think it's the product managers that'll help bring the business and tech side together to figure this out in a way that isn't, uh, isn't overblown. And that's, that's born in my belief of the power of no, which is that probably most of your API ideas shouldn't be built. <laughs> right? Less is more. That, that's uh, the challenge we always face. You know, it's, it's much harder to write down and describe and articulate what you're not doing than what you're actually doing. (laughs) But uh, what you describe with the product manager um, role, especially in delivering APIs, 
brings me nicely onto the other acronyms that I like to use in those type of conversations rather than kind of technical acronyms. And it's all people inclusive, which I think is really harps to the fact that APIs are now a real, you know, socio-technical and business technical artifact and they're shared, it's shared ownership. And the product manager can really, really tie those two disciplines together and focus on the value. Because at the end of the day, yes, APIs are the language of how software communicates, but a specific API itself is just, it's just a pipe to let either data or business value flow through it. So it has to make sense in the context of the consumer. You need to make sure that you're using the right taxonomy. You need to make sure that you're not letting any historical um, company-specific verbiage bleed into that interface. You know, it's, it's, it's critically important if you really want to then allow people interact, which is my other acronym, but really it can act as that nice entry point into a team who's representing a capability, or maybe there's multiple teams delivering sub-capabilities within a capability or a domain. Um, but the API can be a fundamental conduit for how teams outside of that, even within the walls of an organization, will interact with each other. And if done well, I think it's also incredibly powerful for onboarding new, new developers, new designers, new testers into your team, because they can use the well-designed, well-documented API to help them fundamentally understand how the capabilities that, that the team that they're joining offer to the rest of the organization or beyond the organization. So I think that can be incredibly powerful. And, you know, we've, we've all experienced it. I've been in that position before where you know how everything works inside out in a particular API. So you quite easily fall victim to the, the glass box approach. So it's too easy for folks to come and ask you a question. And, but then if you leave the team or if something else happens, how are the rest of the teams who depend on that going to receive the support that they need. And that's often a part of, of the API journey that's um, omitted or put on the back burner. And, and that really hinders the, the longevity of an API, in my opinion. Yeah, well put. Um, you know, I suppose the other, um, the other kind of area that is probably present in, in mind for a lot of API practitioners right now is uh, something that, that perhaps folks more in the know have been aware of, but is now, I think, being recognized by analysts and that sort of things is over the last 10 years, a lot of companies would go, oh, we got to manage our APIs. So we need to go find uh, a, essentially a gateway product that comes with a bunch of other stuff to do everything uh, and there's certainly, you know, some pitfalls to that. Uh, and I think now it's been recognized that maybe going to find one vendor to do effectively all of, you know, uh, touch every aspect of your software, if almost everything's getting developed as APIs now might not be the greatest idea. Uh, so I guess curious to hear your take on kind of, you know, this, uh, what, what's the phrase getting kicked around lately, the, uh, the great unbundling. The unbundling of yeah, the, the, the API management lifecycle. Yeah, I think it's it, it it makes sense. I think a lot of people can can see it, but there has been a historical technology first approach to API programs, and hence the gateway was always a fundamental part of that, and and rightly so. But I think as um, we're all getting more mature with, with how APIs are being stood up and delivered across our organizations, 
we're understanding that not all APIs may actually be managed by gateways. Um, how can we ensure that the quality of what we are going to now deploy into our gateway, which is effectively, if you get to that point, you, you can say that you have your implementation done. So now you're ready to make it available to someone else. So how can you ensure that the quality of all of the distributed teams who are delivering APIs can be kept in check if you only do your checks and balances at, at, at the gateway level? And more often than not, I think for, for most modern organizations, there's multiple gateways at play. Um, there's some roll your own ones. There might be um, specific vendor implementations or specific uh, cloud gateways that are there. And having a multi-gateway approach is becoming kind of a common architectural uh, recommendation as well for folks as they're moving more onto the cloud and they want to keep um, using stacks that are familiar to teams in different uh, geographical regions. And there's no guarantee that they will be the same cloud provider. Hence, there's no guarantee that they will be using the same kind of out-of-the-box gateway um, that comes with that cloud provider. And it's a bit of a kind of a Swiss army knife approach. Um, and what we're realizing is if we don't want to fall victim to the law of instrument, we need to select the right style of API to solve the problem at hand and then equip the teams with the right tools to allow them to deliver the API in the best possible shape. So specialization is happening quite naturally, I think. And the way that we're looking at it specifically from, from a, a smartware perspective, or at least have, we, have been, is that we want to ensure that we're, we're open enough to interoperate with the other vendors that will play a role or the other tools that may be instilled or used within an organization across different phases of the API lifecycle. And um, there's no expectation that we will be used from point A to point Z. So we have to make sure that we can offer the best of what we do for the different personas that need us, and then make sure that we're still able to, to pick up where we left off at a later phase in the lifecycle. And I think that in general is to the benefit of the community at large, because they get to pick and choose the best tools for the job and the best styles to solve the problems that they're they're trying to solve for. And we will be unopinionated in, in that. And we will just offer the value um, in the most natural way, which I think is a win-win situation. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, uh, throughout your the beginning of your description there, I couldn't help but think of uh, the many times sitting at conferences where we'd all wink at each other about the secret drinking game of the API conference, which is uh, when they show that uh, the iceberg slide and it says the tip of the iceberg that shows above the water is the public facing APIs. Everything below the water uh, is is all the internal stuff. And and for me, I think this this kind of the gateway problem in its simplest form is it's only describing the tip of the iceberg, right? It's only describing the things that you've put out onto the internet. But if we are describing a company as its digital self in APIs, then we need to describe what's below the water better than anything. And that's where I think the gateways leave a huge, huge hole, like a 95% of the problem hole in uh, sort of this observability and these things, right? How do we know what exists? Well, we can't just look at what we put on the internet. That's only a tiny fraction of the total capabilities. 
Yeah, exactly. And then that, that cascades into many other problems, of course, you know, the, the rise of shadow APIs and zombie APIs, because you simply cannot protect or cannot use what you cannot see or cannot find. Um, so it, it, you know, really impacts on, I think, on the security of what we're doing. You know, there, there's incorrect assumptions can be easily made that the gateway will will protect and it'll only be north-south traffic that will be coming into the API. <laughs> it reminds you, I've, I've actually had funny stories with, with, with different providers in the past where um, I've been calling their API and I've been communicating with their support team at the same time. And they're like, well, hold on until we get you your uh, credentials to call the API. And I was like, I'm bypassing your gateway. <laughs> and it's, uh, they're like, no, no, you can't do that. And I'm like, I can, you know, your endpoint is wide open. Watch me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, I guess uh, any other sort of closing thoughts here, Frank, uh, I could do this all day, uh, but you know, we got to, uh, no one will listen past this point. <laughs> so I guess yeah. unless other... we want to unless we want to touch briefly on on uh, the open source perspective. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point. I meant yeah. to uh, touch on that earlier. So let's go there. I guess you know certainly from the stoplight side, uh, and and folks who've perhaps listened to the show for a long time, we know that things like spectral and prism and elements, you know, kind of the fundamental ingredients that stoplights built on. Are a pretty big deal for a lot of people, uh, and certainly I'm, I'm sure there's interest in knowing what that's all about. But not to mention that um, you know Swagger, aka Open API, really came out of SmartBear, and a lot of the reference tooling for Open API is uh, you know run by that team. So, uh, I guess your thoughts on how those things um, come together, and uh, probably for some folks here, like. Is all the all the stoplight open source stuff going to be okay? I'm sure that's a big question, Lemmy. <laughs> I think it'll be perfectly okay. Um, like if you look at the history of of Swagger, as you said, Swagger is all about toolings that work with different flavors of APIs and specifically built on top of um, API specifications. Um, but it, it's it's our goal to offer open source capabilities to support the community to help them get the jobs that they need to get done, done. And we're very much believers in providing that, that open core of what we're, what we're doing. And I think that that's both in Swagger, it's also in PACT. Um, so PACT is a, an open source contract testing um, project. Um, and it comes with lots of capabilities there to ensure that you're not actually going to break your API in the next iteration and you're conforming to your customer expectations, which is a subset theoretically of what you expose through the uh, API description of your API. But I think um, the, the stoplight offerings around spectral, around prism, around elements kind of segues very, very nicely into what we're also offering from a swagger and packed point of view. Um, we have some, we have loads of projects within Swagger. You know, it's such a big ecosystem and we're, we're trying to revamp some of them, you know, recently launching support for, for OpenAPI 3.1, which is was non-trivial because we decided to rewrite lots of the, 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 the stack in there. It wasn't just bolting on a minor version. It was a complete rewrite, but we have some really powerful capabilities there now that allow us to accelerate across new 
um, API specification versions. So, you know, if Async API 2.7 comes out today, we'll probably support it by next week. It'll be that fast. Um, and I'm really excited with the linting capabilities of Spectral as well and being able to kind of use that more, um, I suppose, more, more authentically now as a first-class uh, citizen within the Swagger ecosystem as well, which I think will just make life better for the community at large um, and also bringing kind of mocking into the try it out behaviors even you know beefing that up i think that's also incredibly exciting and that will then also bode well for for folks who want to scale and and are looking for more enterprise features then all of this goodness that we have on the open source side can naturally feed into our commercial offerings as as well in a very authentic manner um, and in a way that's not going to let's say, differentiate on the core feature sets that you need from a practitioner point of view, but will more attack scale and enterprise-orientated concerns. And I think that's what excites me probably the most, is that we can accelerate on the open source side, and then indirectly that will allow us to accelerate on the, on the uh, commercial offerings as well. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I feel like the, the good teaser from this point um, is in my mind anyways, that the open source stuff is the, is the easy story <laughs> uh, in the sense that, yeah, I mean, uh, your core swagger tooling, uh, the, the, the fundamental bits that built stoplight and open source form, those things all play nice together, right? It's all part of the open API ecosystem. Um, and uh, I think those pieces being more integrated into both product sets that's probably what you're going to see first more than anything, right? Because it's, it's kind of the easy thing. It's already out there in the open. It's things that we're both using from both sides anyways. Uh, right. And that we know, uh, you know, customers are uh, of both of our companies have been using both of these open source tool sets, even if they're not customers of, of both uh, Swagger Hub and Stoplight. So I actually think in the, the next year or so, that's probably where, the majority of progress will kick off because, you know, when you start thinking about how do you take two slightly different products that are solving more or less kind of the same thing and how does that all come together is actually way harder. Uh, and then there's all the commercial stuff to worry about too. So uh, I actually think that the open source side of things is going to progress quite nicely. And um, yeah, I agree with you that that sort of the, the linting, the mocking, you know, spectral prism and, and kind of the uh, related things at Swagger Hub, like that's that's where there's going to be just some good frothy action, and uh, I really look forward to practitioners who are trying to govern things out there, and hopefully who are listening right now uh, should really benefit most in the near term. Yeah, and it's it's open, it's welcoming, so people are more than happy to come in and voice their opinion and put their hand up to say, hey, we want to we want to help. So yeah, for sure, we're more than welcome. All right, Frank, any uh, closing thoughts for us here as uh, as the clock winds down on our episode? No, I think it's an exciting time across the API space. Um, personally, I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen with the API workflow specification that I'm kind of heavily involved in. And I think that's addressing some big gaps that we we have across the API space. So yeah, looking forward to how that will mature over the next couple of months and then seeing how we can take it into 
our open source uh, offerings uh, and then beyond. Open API workgroup plug. Look, look at that. All right. Exactly. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thanks again for coming on, Frank. Uh, it's been a heck of a fun discussion. I could do this all day, but uh, people have things to do and won't stick around and listen. So we better go. <laughs> thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you. API Intersection podcast listeners are invited to sign up for Stoplight and save up to $650. Use the code Intersection10 to get 10% off a new subscription to Stoplight Platform Starter or Pro. Take a look at this episode's description for more details.